Oh, Father, we do thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father, for the for the good and blessed fellowship that that we have here and that you've you've blessed us with, Lord, that you've made us all members one of another and that we can rejoice together and get to know one another and love one another and all by your Holy Spirit and around your word and in rejoicing together in our blessed hope. And Father, you've brought all of, all of that to pass in our hearts and our lives and we thank and praise you for it. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to cause us to grow as we study your word together in our Savior's name. Amen. Okay, Romans and chapter 12. We have come down through oh, about verse 8 or so now. Uh, Paul's been talking about the, uh, the various gifts in the church and how that you and I are to, are to put in our part. We saw a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 4 primarily how that we are all, uh, uh, the, the saints in this early church, we're all given a measure of faith to uh, to contribute to the whole, and that you and I now today, where while it doesn't work exactly the same way in terms of the uh, the the impartation of of kind of miraculous manifestations, still you and I are the body of Christ and members in particular, and it's true of a body as Paul brings out in this passage here that every member has its own office, its own part to play, and when every member puts in its part, the body benefits. And we've been talking about that. And last week we talked about ministry and about all of these things that, that Paul brings out here. Ministry and exhortation and, and uh, uh, showing mercy and giving and so forth. And all of these things are things that, that we come together here to do to exhort one another, to encourage one another, to give to one another, to give to the ministry, to, to put in our part, to contribute. And we saw last week, or I said to you anyway, that uh, the edification and the blessing and the profit that I receive is a... Is, is, is almost a side effect of, of, of what I'm doing here. And when I say me, I mean each of us individually. That when you come and to give, you receive. When you come to bless, you are blessed. When you come to minister, you are ministered to. And the the edification and the, and the blessing that each of us receives is is an after effect of what we give. So so when we come to church, we don't come to church to be edified. We come to church to edify. And in the process, we are edified. That's the uh, that's the design. That's the plan. Every member contributes, and then every member benefits. Okay. So. 
Now that, uh, the first, those, those few verses leading up to uh, verse 8 there are talking about just that, ministry, work in the church, things that we do in the context uh, of the church generally uh, when we get together for services and so forth. Now, Paul is going to go on here beginning in verse 9 and he's going to start talking more about our conduct toward one another. He's been talking about our service. Now he's going to start talking about our relationships. And he starts out in verse 9. He says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Now, let love be without dissimulation. Now, if we're going to let love be without dissimulation, we should probably know what some of these words mean, like love and dissimulation. So let's talk about these, about these things. Now we'll, we'll see as we go on down through this passage what love is. And you and I, we've talked many times before that like so many things in the Bible, love is not what uh, it's commonly understood to be. What God means when He says love is one thing. What the world means is oftentimes something else. And that's true of uh, of, of a lot of different things. But Paul, when he starts out talking about love here, and it's love that really is the kind of uh, foundation of everything that's, that's going to come after in this passage, he says, let love be without dissimulation. Now, dissimulation is, the, the word has to do with a lie. It has to do with deceit, with deception. There is uh, when we talk about when we talk about a lie, you and I know that there are that there are two different ways to tell a lie. There are two different ways to be dishonest. You can you can put forth something that isn't true. That's one way to tell a lie. You can speak an untruth, and we say you've told a lie. But the other way to tell a lie, to be dishonest, is not to put forth something that's not true, but rather to conceal something that is true. We call one a lie of commission and then the other a lie of omission. That's why when, if you go into court and you uh, are going to take the witness stand and, uh, and testify in court, you raise your hand and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? Because we understand that if you just say, tell the truth, well, all that means is, as long as what I speak is true, I can hide over here whatever I want to hide. So we understand that there are more ways than one to tell a lie. So we break it out like that, and we say you need to tell the truth, you need to tell the whole truth, and you need to tell nothing but the truth. So help you God. So... Now, dissimulation has to do with that second part. It has to do with covering, hiding something. When Paul says, let love be without dissimulation, when you're talking about lying and being dishonest, those two parts are simulation and dissimulation. You know what simulation is? I remember... uh, Way back when I was in when I was in high school, uh, I took driver's ed. Everybody ever take driver's ed and take driving school? Driver's ed was great because we were all young 
you know, kids. And what driver's ed meant was that you were going to be able to get in and drive a car. So it was a great, it was a great thing. We all looked forward to it. And much to our great disappointment, uh, when we got to driver's ed, we found out that they didn't put you behind the wheel of an automobile uh, on the first day. They didn't just, uh, here, here's the keys to the car, go ahead and get in and turn you loose. That's not how that worked. Before you got into an actual car, you had to spend several class hours in a simulator. Right? We know what a simulator is. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm remembering back, I'm thinking to myself about this, and I'm remembering back 30 some odd years ago. And I hope the technology today is better than it was back then. Because back then, it was so weak. We came out of those simulators going, boy, was that lame. It was just awful. You go in there, it was a trailer, and it was like a bus. They had two rows of seats. And you go in and you sit in your seat, and it's got a steering wheel, right? And it's got pedals, got a gas pedal and a brake pedal and a gear shift. Uh, And then there was a big movie screen up in the front, and they would project... Somebody had taken a film of them driving their car, shooting the camera out the front windshield, and so you're driving along in your little lame, you know, steering wheel and seat and pressing on. Of course, what you did in your seat didn't have any effect on what was happening up on the screen, so we're all doing this and trying to wipe the car out, and of course it didn't do anything. It was a simulation. The idea there is that it was pretending to be something it wasn't. It was supposed to give you uh, the impression, the idea that you were driving a car. That's a simulator. You're not really driving a car, but it's designed to make you think that you are or feel that you are. That's a simulation. Putting forth something that isn't really what it purports to be. Dissimulation is the other side of that. Come, come with me to uh, get Second Samuel chapter 20. So you can tell a lie in two different ways. You can say something that's not true, or you can hide something that is true. While you're turning to Second Samuel, I'll uh, bring to your remembrance, we read not too long ago, and as, as we're reading through the Bible, In uh, Joshua, as Joshua came up against the town of Ai, the second time. First time he went up against Ai, they went up and and got whooped. The second time, Joshua went up against Ai and he defeated it. And the way that he did that, if you recall, was he took and he split his army in two. And he took part of his army and he said, you go around behind the town and hide yourself. Then he took the other part of his army out front and launched a a frontal assault on that town. And the men of Ai saw them coming, and they gathered themselves together to battle against Joshua and against his armies. And they came out, and they clashed for, uh, for a little bit. And that army that was in the front had instruction that when the battle starts, turn and run, flee. So they did that, they ran, and the men of Ai said, they're, they're fleeing before us, just like they did last time, let's pursue them. So all the men of Ai gathered together and went out the front gate, out after Joshua and his army. 
And when they got far enough away from the town, Joshua gave the signal, and that other part of the army that was in the back that was hiding got up, came in, and ambushed the city. Now what that was, was that was that, that front part of the army that came out in front was the simulation. That back part of the army that was hiding was the dissimulation. So you get, you get the idea there. On the one hand, he's putting forward something that's deceptive, that is not what it appears to be. On the other hand, he's hiding something that, uh, that is the real danger. Okay, Second Samuel chapter 20. <clears throat> In Second Samuel chapter 20 here, we have another military man, actually two other military men, Joab and Amasa. And let's just read uh, two verses here. Second uh, Samuel chapter 20, verse 9. And Joab said to Amasa, Art thou in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with the right hand to kiss him. But Amasa took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand. So he smote him therewith in the fifth rib and shed out his balls to the ground and struck him not again, and he died. Okay, now that is dissimulation. Okay, that is concealing something from someone to be uh, to be deceptive, hiding what's actually there. And not only is that dissimulation, but when you read our passage in Romans chapter 12, when Paul says, "Let love be without dissimulation," think of that passage. He took him by in one hand to kiss him, while the other hand stuck a sword in him. You ever have somebody do that to you? Paul says, let love be without dissimulation. Don't have that sword in your left hand while you're reaching out to your brother with your right. Now, back to Romans chapter 12. Now look, there are times when friends will hurt one another. That's what we do, kind of. You know, we're pretty good at it. That's not really... uh, We're not talking about something that's accidental. We're not talking about something that's thoughtless. We're talking about malice. And we're talking about something that's purposeful. And we're talking about having ulterior motives. We're talking about pretending to be something that you're not. And putting ourselves forth as one thing, but really in our heart, we've got something else going on. Now you say, well, okay, if I'm not supposed to do that, if I'm not supposed to pretend to love the brethren, if I really despise someone in my heart, then I'm going to obey God and I'm not going to pretend to love them. I'm going to despise them openly. Is that okay to do? No, that's not okay to do. Why? What does Paul say? Paul doesn't say, don't pretend to love one another. Paul says, let love be 
without dissimulation. So the, 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 the call there and the exhortation is to let love be. Let it exist. Let it be there in you. And show it openly. But don't let it be with an underlying uh, ulterior mind. Now, you think about that. That's not easy. That's not an easy uh, command to obey. Because we can control what we do. And I can say, well, you know what? I really don't care for this brother, this sister, whatever it is, too much. But, you know, I'm going to come here. I'm not going to treat them bad. I'm going to smile. I'm going to shake their hand. I'm going to say, how are you doing? And, and, and all the rest of that. But all the time, I've got this thing down inside of me. Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, Paul says, don't let that be. Well, how am I supposed? What am I supposed to do about that? Well, read on. Let love be without dissimulation. We're back in Romans 12, verse 9. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Let's come back to that in a little bit. Verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another, with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Well, now here he goes again. Be kindly affectioned one to another. What Paul's doing is he's telling us how to feel. Now, how do you control how you feel about someone? Come over to Galatians. Paul is telling us in this passage that... In obedience, we're in Galatians chapter 5. In obedience, by obedience, we are to feel one thing and not another. Now, now if you think about it, the whole command to love in the first place uh, kind of tells you how to feel about someone, doesn't it? You say, well, I just don't love that person. I can pretend like I do, and I can be kind to them, and I can be good to them, but I can't control what's in my heart. Paul says, you can. God says, you can. And from the very beginning, the commandment of God, the basic foundational, fundamental commandment of God is that we love. Whether we love Him or love one another, we are commanded to love. And if we're commanded to love, that means we can love. Because God doesn't command you to do something that's impossible. So how do we do that? Galatians and chapter 5. How do we control our feelings? Paul says, he talks about the, uh, the works of the flesh. I'll tell you what, let's get a, get a good chunk of this. Uh, verse 15. Uh, verse 14. Galatians 5.14 For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, you and I have been learning through this book of Romans, as we've been studying it, that the Lord has made provision 
for you and me not to walk after the flesh. Well, what does that mean to walk after the flesh? Well, read on, verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So now here you are. I'm gonna. We're gonna assume now tonight that we're, that we don't have you know evil people here in our midst. That we're all uh, desiring to do what God wants us to do. Can we can we make that assumption here tonight? I think we can. So now here I am in the privacy of my own heart, thinking about a person. And I don't care for that person too much. And I have, and again, when I say I, I mean all of us as individuals. And I find myself having negative thoughts and and feelings about that person. Maybe it's something that they did. Maybe it's just something about the way they are. For whatever reason. I have, uh, I, I, I've got something going on in my mind that I recognize at some point is not godly. Is not uh, thinking of this person the way that God would have me to think. And Paul says here that the spirit uh, fights against the flesh, the flesh lusts against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh, and these things are contrary one to the other. So I have this this battle now within me. The mind of my flesh is doing one thing, and the Holy Spirit is telling me about it on the other hand. Now, isn't that what we've studied through Romans as we came through chapters 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 about the old man being dead and us being new creatures. Isn't that what Paul just said at the beginning coming into chapter 12 when he talked about uh, being transformed by the renewing of our mind? He's talking about a battle that's going on within us. In our heart, in our spirit, in our mind. The flesh is thinking one thing and the spirit says that's not right. You ought to be thinking this. Now, uh, verse 18. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, here's the first thing that you don't do when you start having these uh, ungodly thoughts about people. You don't start uh, condemning yourself. You don't put yourself under the law. You don't say to yourself, I've got to stop thinking that way and start thinking good and kind and loving thoughts about this person. That's not what you do. Because what you're doing now is you're putting yourself under that thou shalt and thou shalt not and just saying, okay, this is wrong, I have to stop it. Well, you know that the flesh uh, continues to lust against the Spirit so that you cannot do the things that you would. We went through this back in chapter 7 when Paul says, I want to do right, I want to do good, but sin is present with me. And when I would do good, evil is always there. And it ends up causing me to sin. And I can't do... how to, To will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. You remember when he told us about that in chapter 7. So that's not the way to do it. 
in chapter 7 he's talking about being dead to the law and not putting yourself under that uh, that focus on sin. See, because that's what you're doing. When you recognize something like that in yourself and you say, I'm going to stop that, i got to stop that, i got to stop that, i got to stop that, what you're doing is you're focusing on the sin and you're keeping it and you're holding it and you're embracing it and you're not letting it go. That's what the law does. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do this. Look at the sin. Look at the sin. Look at the sin. Don't do that to yourself. You're not under the law. You're under grace. So if we don't look at the sin, what do we look at? If you be led of the... You cannot do the things that you would, but if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. So there's a different way to handle this now. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, verse 19, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's your flesh. The kingdom of God is not about flesh and blood, and your flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So you, so, so you have the flesh on the one hand who wants to go one way. And you have the Spirit on the other hand who wants to go the other way. Well, how do you do that? Well, you do that by all the ways that we talked about earlier in, in Romans. By yielding yourself to the Spirit. Listen, you don't get over sin in your heart by focusing on the sin in your heart. You get holiness and purity in a practical way in your heart by focusing on holiness and purity, by focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, by focusing on the grace of God, not by focusing on what you shouldn't be doing. Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ. See, put, put off the old man. Just put it off. Don't focus on it. Put it off. And walk after the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if you find yourself minding the things of the flesh, what do you do? Condemn yourself? No, don't disobey the Apostle Paul that way. You turn and you thank God and you and you you bring His grace and His love and His joy and all of that fruit of the Spirit. You bring that to mind and that will put off the other. Watch. Verse 24, when he talks about against such there is no law, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Well, isn't that what we're talking about? Be kindly affectioned 
one to another? Paul's telling us how to feel. But he's not just telling us how to feel. He's telling you how you can feel, have affection the way that you ought to have affection and not have the affections uh, and, and lusts of the flesh. How is that? By crucifixion. Is that by me determining by an act of my will that I'm going to stop this thing and I'm just going to have good thoughts? You know that doesn't work as well as I do. It comes by understanding. Paul says when, when, when that sin comes up, it's present with me. He says, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And he disassociates himself from that. And he understands that God has circumcised him with the circumcision made without hands so, and cut away that flesh from his spirit and separated it. So now I have these, uh, these two persons. We talked about this. And these two natures, and I have the, the, the flesh on the one hand and the spirit on the other, and I'm in the middle. Look, somebody comes up to me and starts whispering uh, vile things in my ear. That's not, that's not me. That's him. Now, I can choose to sit and go, hmm, that's interesting. Tell me more. And start entertaining that stuff. Or I can say, you know what, I think I'm just going to step out of this situation here and go and talk to this guy over here because he's got something to say that uh, that's going to edify me and that's going to put me in the right frame of mind. So that decision is ours to make. And listen, that guy, just like Paul says, that sin, it's ever present with us. It doesn't die. It doesn't stop coming. It's always coming. That's why we are always choosing Knowing, thanking God, Lord, thank you that this is not me anymore. Thank you, Lord, that these thoughts that are coming into my mind against my brother are not me anymore. And my thoughts toward him, and my heart toward him, and my spirit toward him is one of love, and of kindness, and of acceptance. And with my spirit, I embrace him, and I am my spirit and my flesh is dead and who will deliver me this wretched man that I am I thank God he's already delivered me that's not me it's not you that's how you deal with it that's what Paul's been telling us through this book of Romans read on Again, verse 24, They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Those, those things, they're, they're, they're gone. They're dead. If we live in the Spirit, so now the flesh is dead, and we now are alive by the Spirit of God, and we do live in the Spirit, regardless of how we walk, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If it's true that my old man is dead and those sinful deeds and sinful thoughts and all those works and thoughts of the flesh that he goes on down there, all that stuff is still in me, but it's not me. If that's true, and if I now live after the Spirit, then, I'm gonna, then I need to start walking after the Spirit and start behaving like what's in my inner man. See, now what's happening 
is I'm loving the brethren and I'm showing my love to the brethren, but it's coming out of a pure heart. And I'm not putting uh, my, my negative feelings and my dislike and my disdain and, and all those things down so I can put on a good show. But now, what's coming out of me is actually coming out of me. And what you're seeing is what's in me. Now, you're showing love without dissimulation. Now, you, you've got nothing to hide. Now you're not covering anything up. You know, the thing about love, you hear a lot, if you listen to political discussion, you're hearing a lot lately about transparency. Why are you doing everything behind closed doors? Get it out in the open where we can all see it. Well, you know what? That's a big part of what love is. Not keeping anything back. Not hiding. Not putting on a show not being deceptive, not having dissimulation, but being transparent, being open. Here I am. All my flaws, all my weaknesses, all my quirks that make you have negative thoughts about me, all, my, all of my shortcomings, but I love you. And you ought to love me. And we ought to love one another despite all of those things. Now, let me say to you, as you go through, you're gonna, if you're reading through your Bible, you're about to read through that passage that we just looked at with Joab. <clears throat> the situation back there, you know, those two verses we read, Joab grabs a mesa and says, come here, let me kiss you. By the way, does that, you, do you know anyone else who was betrayed by a kiss? Yeah, he he didn't let love be without dissimulation. He had plenty of dissimulation. Putting it out as love on the surface, but with a knife in the other hand. See, that's... Don't do that. But, here's the thing about Joab and Amasa. As you go through that account, you're going to see it. It's kind of hard to figure out who's the good guy and who's the bad guy in that situation. Just to give you a real quick uh, uh, account of what's going on there, Joab is the, is the chief, he's the captain of, of David's uh, army. And Amasa um, uh, um, there is was, and then, uh, boy, all these names are just escaping my, my mind here, David's son, um, who rebelled against him, starts with an A, um, Anyway, he takes a mesa for the captain of his army. Absalom. There it is. And so there's that kind of a kind of a betrayal going on there. But Joab, in the meantime, uh, he goes out against the armies of Absalom. And uh, Absalom, you've probably read the account before, is riding his, his donkey and he gets his head stuck in a, in a tree and the donkey goes on and he's hanging there, it says, between heaven and earth. Uh, hanging, you know, by his head from a, from, from a tree. And, uh, jo and it's told Joab, Absalom's stuck in a tree over there, and Joab, it says, took three darts and went up there and he killed Ab uh, Absalom. 
Now, when he came back, when Joab came back, and, and it was told David what had happened, David uh, obviously was mourning for his son, even though his son was rebellious against him. And Joab and the armies come back, and David's in mourning, and they've just gotten this great victory over Absalom and his armies and so forth, and they come back, and, and David's in mourning, and Joab gets upset about that. And he goes in there, and he says, Look, we just won this great victory for you, and you're uh, crying for your enemy. And it, and it seems to me like you would have been happier if we all died and Absalom was still alive. Well, that's kind of a good point. On the other hand, this is David's son. So that's kind of a good point. And Joab says, you know, you're not doing the right thing here. And, but, but at the same time, he killed the king's son. You say, well, this king's son was rebellious against the king. Well, listen, Saul uh, was, was out after, after David, and David had opportunity after opportunity to kill Saul. And he said, I won't do it. I won't touch the Lord's anointed. So on the one hand, you can say, well, Joab did the wrong thing. He shouldn't have killed the kid's son, the, the king's son. On the other hand, you say he did the right thing because the kid was, was, was rebelling against him. He was trying to kill David. Then David uh, makes the other guy, after his son is dead, captain instead of Joab because he's angry with Joab. So now Joab has got a grudge. And he's got a point. But David's also got an issue, and he's got a point. So here are two people who have an argument against each other, and they each have a point of view. And they each have a strong point of view. And they each think that the other is wrong. In fact, they both know that the other is wrong. Now, there's, no, there, there's not going to be a point here where one of these people is going to say, you know what, I see it all now, you're right, I was wrong. That's never going to happen. So what Paul is calling us to do is to say, yeah, that's, that's the situation. To take that and to put that aside and to love one another anyway to love one another despite those differences. So, now, what that tells me is that that tells me that our love for one another doesn't really have anything to do with any of that. Does it? It doesn't really have anything to do with any of that. So here's our kind of fightings and disagreements and, and things where we don't really kind of like each other and he rubs me the wrong way and she doesn't really, you know, do that the way I'd like people to do and, and all of that. So there's that. And then there's our love for one another. Paul says that, and I'm going to quit now. Paul says that when you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were yet enemies, He reconciled us. Now here's what you do when you're having a hard time loving 
the brethren. You step back and you say to yourself, how does God see that person? And put yourself in God's place and look at that brother, look at that sister, and see them the way God sees them. In Christ, perfect, accepted, holy, a a, a source of eternal joy. That's where you're walking after the Spirit and not after the flesh. So, one verse tonight, but I think it's an important one. Let love be without dissimulation. Let it come from a pure heart and let it be real.